It's the Staza Pod. We have some really great questions today. Uh, I think I'll start off with just a little bit of general news. Uh, of course, we had the Battle for Pangea Island drop number two, which brought us a re-release of Saxon with a brand new head and Forest with a brand new body. And, um, you know, I'm very happy to get back to this duo of characters. I like them quite a bit. And uh, their fate on Pangea Island is not yet known as our focus, our multi-week focus on this beautiful place uh, continues on. Now, hopefully, this all culminates in the arrival of Chromega, and we can tell the final chapter of what goes down on Pangaea Island. Fingers crossed, still waiting on shipping confirmation. But I do hope you've uh, liked the sequence and the narrative so far. It's been a lot of fun to do. We do have a ebook that will be debuting uh, sometime in the near future that will tell the entire tale of the battle for Pangaea Island, featuring some really great artwork from Gavin Mackey and Jules Lenahan. And um, I, uh, I've been working on Battle for Pangaea Island for a very long time, and I'm happy that we finally get to cross that bridge. And I look forward to wrapping it up shortly and then getting on to some interesting things as we get towards the end of the year. Action figure of the month for October has also uh, pretty much arrived everywhere, I think, at the time of this publication. Uh, people really seem to love this figure. And I'm very happy with this figure as well. This is the Hyper Ice. And this, of course, fits into the motif of previous uh, Ice Rat figures. Um, the color scheme being a love letter and homage to a certain type of building toy that inspired me as a kid. Always happy to, to iterate on this color scheme. Um, it's one that I like quite a bit. There's also this... A uh, somewhat quizzical inclu inclusion of a brand new groundbreaking technology uh, and accessory called rope. Uh, I don't think enough toys nowadays ha include little pieces of string. It it's something that I love in all the figures I had when I was a kid. And believe it or not, it took so fucking long to simply source a piece of neon rope from China. And I gotta tell you, these are not sort of the neon colors I had in mind and do not match the samples I sent, but this was sort of the best uh, that was available. And given all the shortages and delays and everything else, um, I really had to <laughs> just roll with it at a certain point. And it, it, it's such a minute detail and so pointless in the grand scheme of things, but something I've been trying to replicate and include in figures for a very long time and something that was so brain-breakingly difficult to manage uh it's astounding so i hope you appreciate this little length of rope i hope it brings you good fortune uh there is no like greater uh symbolism here other than i just generally like you know having figures rappel down cliff faces and things like that it's it's simply that and uh, for those that kind of get it and appreciate it, you are seen. You are valid. Also included with Action Figure of the Month for October was a very beautiful embroidered patch, which finally shows the sort of faction icon of the Ice Rats. Um, I do have a whole entire story kind of bullet pointed out about where these characters are active and what they're doing, and uh, I hope to one day get to that story, but it is not 
to be honest, a, a sort of crucial or urgent storyline. So it is on the back burner. Um, but October is important. This October figure is important for a couple different reasons. And this will lead me into my sort of next topic. Uh, one, I think of this October as being the fully realized month when I have the proper amount of planning and time and ingredients. This is what I always want the Action Figure of the Month Club experience to be. But, you know, admittedly, it has fallen short due to, you know, just press press play on the garden variety uh, excuses and global catastrophes that are happening at this very moment. So when I sort of have an unlimited budget and I have all the time in the world, I think what you would ideally get from the club is a figure like this with all the bells and whistles and extras. And, uh, you know, I'm very honest that I've had to scramble and sort of piece together by hand a lot of the months so far this year just to keep that 30-day deadline and just to sort of, you know, keep the commitment of the timing, right? That's the sort of biggest thing of the club. You get a mysterious figure every 30 days. That is the selling point. That is what I've promised you guys. And so far, I've been able to deliver that. Although, granted, I do think, based on where you live, sometimes a figure may show up uh, in the first week of the following month, just by virtue of how long it takes to get there. So, uh, this Hyper Ice was planned last year. And you can see, when I have 12 months to kind of plot something out, I can really put together something great. But time is a luxury, and it's not something I'm allowed very much with the current schedule of 12 figures once a month uh, through this club. Uh, also, before I forget, quick shout out to Siva Jack, who helped greatly in procuring the embroidered patches. Um, it, it is also, as a quick aside, uh, this figure went completely over budget for the month. Should not be a surprise, but because a lot of other figures were material style and things like that, uh, I'm looking, you know, I kind of view all 12 months as a cumulative average figure cost. Some will be under budget, some will be over budget. This is a figure that obviously, especially with the patch included, uh, was way over budget, but I think it was worth it. And this brings me to my next point. As I'm figuring out what 2022 looks like, I definitely do want to continue doing the club, but there will have to be changes made. And the one thing I can't get over the one sort of solid truth that's locked in place is that shipping a figure every 30 days does not give me enough time to maximize the experience for you guys. All too often, and especially in the face of global delays, I'm having to fall back into secondary or tertiary plans uh, and sort of cook up something to get it out the door. And I don't want to do that in 2022. I want to be able to take the appropriate amount of time to curate experiences, right? Not just ship out a figure in a box. Now, I've uh, polled my patrons. I've gotten lots of feedback. I've spent the past two weeks sort of synthesizing all of that. And I don't have all the answers yet, but I do know a couple things that I'm leaning towards. One is I definitely want to continue the club. Um, Two is that the name of the club may be reconfigured slightly. It will be action figure something, something, something. Don't have the right combination just yet. Three, 
enrollment and the sort of main content for this club will continue to be at patreon.com slash jesse DeStasio. um what i am sort of heavily leaning towards as of today is that the focus of the club becomes two packs and within those two packs those can be sort of arch enemies facing off against each other it can be uh best friends going on an adventure it can be new heroes encountering one another uh basically a sort of tie-in you know a a great series of two packs that tell a new story and relate each character to each other um and this would ideally be shipping out every other month so you'd sort you'd sort of be signing up for six two packs shipped every other month in 2022 and that gives me 60 days to fulfill something and i can do a lot more if i have 60 days as opposed to i'm sort of on a 30 day time frame right now but it's not even that much right because there always is some overage uh into the next month so i'm really like i have about two to three solid weeks to plan and build boxes and stickers and everything else for what that month's release is going to be by doing sort of every two months that opens up a, a whole you know bunch of uh interesting things that i might be able to pull off and also it's going to be a, a necessity in the face of all the global delays that we have happening and those are not going to stop in 2022 by the way they are going to get um they're probably going to stay about the same i would say for another year um but who knows i mean i didn't think i've i've been <laughs> like most people unable to predict any of these events that have happened in you know the past uh let's say three years so you're getting six milestone events how how does that sort of affect the tiers and how you pay for this and everything else well now that we're we have quite a few months in uh with the the club this year and the idea that people can drop in and out whenever they want i can actually empirically tell you that's not a good system um the fluctuating numbers in the face of global delays and production line slowdowns uh actually hurt me um you know it's very hard to sort of plan accordingly and a lot of the sort of headaches have been from fluctuating membership numbers and also the sort of supply uh side of things so what i i sort of am imagining this is tentative is that the five dollar tier on patreon is the only tier that has sort of the ability to drop in and out of and actually that may be the only tier that's available uh throughout 2022 um and my reasoning is this i i would love to encourage people like last year to sign up for a full year if they can the full year prepaid works great for me and the people that do it seem very happy that they don't have to worry about getting charged every month and updating credit cards and things like that so there will likely be an enrollment period probably in december it may also run i should say likely in january may also start early in december and that would encourage people at the 30 dollar 
and the $50 tier to prepay for the entire year. It is very important for me to sort of keep the same pricing. I, I really, you know, the last thing I want to do is jack up the prices on these sort of upper tiers. Uh, I'm going to hold out on that for as long as possible, even though every single month my sort of costing for shipping and the figures themselves keeps rising and keeps eating into my margin. I really think it's, it's important sort of psychologically to keep that $30 price point and the really sort of generous discount $50 double month. So I, I really want to keep that. I really want to get as many of you folks who can afford to, to sign up for the full year. And I may sort of close and shutter the $50 and $30 tiers once people are locked in and once we're in 2022. Meaning that if you're a new person who stumbles across the Patreon, you're only going to see the $5 tier. You would not know that there's a $30 or a $50 tier. And those are sort of grandfathered in and available to people that have been part of the club for, you know, since uh, for, for quite some time. So what does the $5 tier uh, get and benefit? Well, you get all the content, you get all the Dostazipods, all the pre-orders that I think are pretty crucial to people, all the behind the scenes artwork, but you also get to sort of order the club figures uh, from a secret store link as we do now. The main difference here would be that $5 patrons will likely get shipped the club figure after those grandfathered in 30 and $50 pe uh, dollar tier people get theirs. This is also hugely beneficial to me because instead of shipping 200 to 250 club figures in the same span of a couple days, I get to break it up. I get to sort of send out the 50 and $30 tier figures to my alpha consumers, uh, you know, as soon as they're ready and packed up. And then the $5 people can see what they got. They can decide if that's a figure they want, and then they can purchase it from the store and get it shipped out to them. Because there is a portion of the audience who just want to wait and see. Sometimes they don't like the monthly figure, and I think that's okay. And I think that this will provide an opportunity for them to do that. The key thing to think about here is, one, you should absolutely hold on to your tier if you have it now, and you should start planning to pay for the full year uh, once we get to sort of December, January, and that might mean uh, selling off some figures, building up some savings, get ready for it because I think it will be a better experience for you if you do that. But everything I've said here is completely tentative. I'm speaking sort of top of mind and just free form here. Uh, all of this could change. This is just kind of where my head's at today. But I would say one, hold on to your tiers if you have them. These may become a sort of contested thing that people are searching for. And two, uh, probably a good idea to stockpile a little bit of cash as we get towards the end of the year if you are a person who wants to prepay for an entire year. Okay, so that's everything newsworthy and everything dealing with the club. Hope it all made sense. I know I was rambling a bit. We're going to get to our questions here. First one from Gabriel Tovar. Out of curiosity, 
Is it ever possible to donate a Knight of the Slice figure for it to be put on the Wheel of Knights? Just an idea as a way to give back to the community and fuel the pizza flames. Uh, great question, Gabe. And I, I like where your heart's at. A um, couple things I know that... Uh, oh, by the way, guys. We surpassed 20,000 plays on this Distazapod podcast. Isn't that amazing? Thank you guys for that crazy milestone. Um, that also means there's a lot of people who are sort of new coming in every week discovering this podcast. Uh, welcome. You're essentially seeing a nervous breakdown in real time as I try to navigate a independent toy company, uh, which is our sort of Toy Pizza Nights of the Slice project, in the face of uh, global doom and gloom and delays and everything else. So uh, you're getting a peek inside that process. And uh, welcome to all the new sort of listeners. I say that because we should also explain what the Wheel of Nights is to all these newcomers. Um, usually every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we, we stream live on Twitch. And we do a Toy Pizza Live show, myself and co-host Nikki. And one of the fun things we do every other week, usually, is spin the Wheel of Nights. And this is a sort of carnival-style spinning wheel built by Squire the Slice, Scott Page. And on this wheel are retired, older styles, long sold out of Night of the Slice figures, sometimes paint samples, test shots, things like that. So folks pay, um, what do we do? 2,500 bits? or 5,000 bits, which is the currency on Twitch, and they get to spin the wheel. And they can win whatever it lands on. And uh, this has been a huge explosion for us. Like we have, I have people that have never bought anything from the store, just sort of found us on Twitch, come in, spin the wheel. They love it, it changes their life. They no longer have erection issues. Um, they're they have the ability to levitate. And it's fixed their marriages. And uh, now, legally, I can't make those claims, but this is just sort of uh, information that's been passed on to me. So, very exciting, very promising, very fun game to play the Wheel of Nights. My question for the audience, should we be doing this every week? I'm getting some urgings. Some very wise sages have told me I should be doing it every week. Uh, I don't know if uh, that's the right play, so I'll, I'll kick it to you guys. You let me know. Wheel of Nights every week, or keep it every other week? Anyway, I digress. Getting back to Gabe's question, could he donate a Knight of the Slice figure to be put on the Wheel of Nights for just general good vibes and to support the community? Um, I would say no, because I have a huge box of Knights ready to go. I have years and years worth of stuff, some very precious stuff that will eventually get its spot on the Wheel of Nights. What you can do, and what every Twitch viewer can do, to support the community in a way that one, kicks a couple bucks my way, but two, also does something really surprising and really great for the viewers is gift a subscription. Now on Twitch, you can subscribe to a channel. The channel gets a couple bucks. You get to avoid the ads that run during a Twitch stream. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you get a free sub every 30 days and you can select Toy Pizza or Knights of the Slice, rather, to be your free sub. So you can skip ads and give us money every 30 days with an Amazon Prime account for no cost to you. So there's also a feature where you can gift subs to people in the chat, people watching the stream. And I think that uh, that's always great. It's happened to me, actually. Somebody gifted me a Toy Galaxy 
sub when I was in their chat room, and that was a hell of a lot of fun. So I would encourage people who want to do something good for the community and for other fellow squires of the slice, gift a sub. Look into it. I'm sure a quick Google search will walk you through how to do it. Things on Twitch are a little complicated and convoluted, I do admit, but, um, you know, there's good resources out there to sort of help you, you know, uh, buy bits and have them ready for the Wheel of Nights, or to gift a sub, which I think is probably the highest form of uh, squirely duty. Next question from RetroZone, Neon Top 5 Halloween Candy. I was just discussing this uh, in my personal life. Um, I, I It's hard to list them in order. I'll just give you five that I really like. I really like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups in the pumpkin shape. For some reason, they seem to taste better. Uh, also, pro tip, put Reese's Peanut Butter Cups in the fridge. They're much nicer when they're kind of more solid and have a crunch to them. Uh, I would probably put candy corn next, which, look, they're a little gross, but I think they kind of get you in the mood for the season. Uh, below that, I will do the sort of candy corn flavored pumpkins. Those are fun to nosh on. Uh, just under that, I would put, not even sure if they make these anymore, but the wax lips that had vampire fangs. Those were quite a treat and quite fun. And then just under that, I would put candy cigarettes, but sort of the, there are two types of candy cigarettes. I doubt they make either of these anymore. There were sort of the hard, uh, powdery sugar kind that just kind of were brittle and snapped in your mouth. And then there were these sort of finely crafted bubblegum tobacco, you know, the gum was in place of the tobacco that was actually wrapped in paper and they put confectioner sugar on it. So you could blow on it and a, a cloud of fake smoke would come out of the cigarette. And I used to love these and it of course made adults think that I was a kid smoking cigarettes and I loved to sort of goof on people like that. Uh, so those would be my top five. Full disclaimer, I don't need any candy anymore. I try to stay as far away from any kind of sugar as I possibly can. And uh, I enjoy good mental health uh, for doing that. Next question, Charlie Pope. What is your favorite of the newest five Star Wars movies? Seven, eight, nine, Rogue One, and Solo. Uh, I'm going to go with Solo. I actually kind of actively dislike everything else on that list, although I really did like Force Awakens. I, I thought it had some promise, um, but they really seemed unable to find any footing with any of the other films. Uh, I know this is an unpopular opinion, but that's how I feel. Next up from Brent Lawson, will we have any extra acid rain for the store? Uh, this is a great question and very topical. Patrons will have already seen my sneak tease of the Annex 2179 Esbet and Bloodbane. These were a pre-order from last year. They have arrived. These figures are so goddamn awesome in person. Now, I do not have a ton of them for the store. I had to keep my order pretty close to what I had pre-orders for. But there are a little bit of extra, so I will likely make available to patrons the ability to order these figures, and then I will put the extras in the store after I've done fulfillment and gotten these out the door and made sure, you know, every time you do a sort of pre-order, there's always going to be a couple of stragglers who get lost in the mail, their address changes, etc. Got to make sure those people are taken care of, and then we will look at getting the extras up on the store. But again, 
it's going to be pretty scarce compared to the quantity I usually have for, for store items. If you're not a patron and you're listening to this and you want to have the ability to pre-order stuff that's not available on the store, you want the inside track on new releases, when stuff is shipping, etc., patreon.com slash spelled how it sounds, and how it sounds changes often. Just quickly, I want to bring this up. Um, I feel like Pringles are uh, the bougiest type of potato chip, and I, I like that about them, right? Because think about putting your fingers into a greasy bag of potato chips and continuing to sort of do that over and over again and just germs getting everywhere. If you're sharing the bag of potato chips, even worse situation, they're just, they are a fountain of filth, right? They're a receptacle for all the bacteria everywhere. And and then think about dirty fingernails. Gross. That's why I like potato chips in a tube. You can kind of slide one or two out at a time. There's minimal contact with the bag and everywhere else. And um, there's like this uh, fancy vegan brand of potato chips in a tube. Um, They are, let's be honest, they're probably made by Pringles. They just have all the stamps of like gluten-free and vegan and, you know, all the, uh, all the sort of shibboleth you want to dress onto an item that would be in a nature's health food store. Um, so needless to say, they cost like $17 for what is probably just a, a tube of, uh, Pringles potato chips that probably goes for $1.99 in regular, uh, grocery stores, but they feel cleaner to eat. Isn't that worth it? By the way, this is not a sponsor. This is just something... <laughs> Uh, I noticed yesterday while shopping. I I do prefer the experience of a sort of tubed chip to a bagged chip. Although I really like chips in general, I'm not going to turn down a nice bag of crunchy chips, especially during a road trip. But I'm just saying, like, in a perfect world, these would all be tubed. And, uh, you know, if you you feel like backing me up on this, let me know, because I can't be alone here. Next question from Valverde. What color would the Vecpire 2.0 be considered? Black, brown, or gray family? I myself am thinking brown. So officially, the base color of this figure is Pantone PMS Black 7C. The C standing for coated. Uh, This is a gray black. Now, colors kind of change depending on what the lighting is, but this is a, a sort of gray black. And, um, you know, I guess people can interpret it other ways, but no surprise this figure was super popular. It's a fantastic base color for customs. And I think people generally like the Vecpire. You know, he's a beloved character. He's come a long way and we've sort of gone on that journey with him from being Reed Schweizer, ace pilot, to being cursed by Marson, to him sort of freeing the shackles of Marson and going on to be something that just might be heroic. I guess we'll we'll wait for the Battle for Pangea Island ebook to see where it all plays out. Next question from Gordon McKinnon Hall. Gordon, you're usually the first question. You've been slacking, my friend. Let's uh, let's get back on the ball here. You mentioned on the Discord that you were playing Metroid Dread. Could you share your thoughts on the game's place in the series or in relation to the other ones you've played? So I have not played a ton of Metroid games. Uh, of course, played the original. Uh, played the Game Boy uh, Return of Samus, Metroid 2, and then I played, uh, 
one of the Metroids on the Game Boy Micro, and I cannot tell you which one it is. It's great. It was a traditional one. I haven't played any of the first-person shooters. I don't believe I've played Fusion, which I know is beloved. Um, so my sort of Metroid history is filled with a lot of gaps. Um, I actually stopped playing Metroid Dread because I wasn't having any fun doing it. Um, I am sure the game gets better. I played about maybe five hours of it. And I just got sick of seeing the same death uh, cuts scene every, you know, couple minutes. It, it takes a long time to, like, actually be able to do something in the game and then to just kind of get killed so casually and have to sit through a cutscene over and over again. I, it's not fun. And as, as far as I got in the game, it is very much a linear game. It is not like you're not doing a lot of exploring. You're not finding out a lot of tricks and stuff like that. You're just kind of surviving and, and dodging and weaving. And for me, that's not fun. That's not sort of what I want in a classic Metroid experience. So um, my impression is unfinished, but largely in the negative, you know. Uh, what I did do instead was get Disco Elysium, which I would highly recommend. Uh, it is a game that deserves the accolades that have been poured on it. Uh, it is not a game that is easy to control or understand, but it is hilarious and one of the best written games I've ever played with very good politics, which are usually pretty lacking in games and, and lead to them having a very sort of hollow sort of experience. Um, so I would highly recommend that with the disclaimer that it is really fucking difficult to get the control scheme down and it is kind of a clumsy game to navigate. Uh, but when you figure it out, it is deeply rewarding and truly a, a gaming experience that is unique and that's very hard to see uh, in this era. And I think that um, it's also, you know, it's kind of written for people like me. And, you know, that can mean a lot of different stuff. But I think if you play it and you get what it's saying, it really resonates and feels like the first game that is like, I don't know, just plugged into what I, what I would proclaim is the correct worldview. <laughs> That all being said about Metroid Dread, I still hope we get sort of game-accurate figures of the Emmy and uh, Samus. Uh, there are Amiibos out there. I, I'm sort of like so unimpressed with the game, I, I don't even want to get the Amiibos. Um, but I do hope we get action figures of them. I do like Samus's look in this game, and I have applauded the character designs. Uh, another area, just briefly, would love to rant about this. Another area where I think it falls short is the very generic, very dull and gray uh, level designs. Like, I think of playing Metroid as a kid and all the purples and the, the slate blue and all the bio-organic mechanical Geiger ripoffs of the worlds were mind-blowing to me. It was like stepping into a movie like Alien. And... Really, the, the sort of level designs here are incredibly generic. It could be almost any other game. It could be just, you know, Destiny or Halo or any of the sort of generic titles that are out there. And I, I think, you know, granted, I, I haven't unlocked a huge portion of the game. Maybe it gets weirder and more gory and more bulbous. But uh, my experience with it 
was with it was very much the opposite of that, and and that kind of sucks. Next question from Matt Connolly, who broke the one question request and is actually asking three questions. Will we see Verkill or the Cherubian forces utilize the blue slash green glow, ghost, fury, or blood capsules? Has a Star Marshal ever found a capsule? Also, does Marcin Scion have access to the blood capsule? Um, all of these are great questions. I do not know. They, these truths have not yet been revealed to me, but I'm interested to hear everyone's theories on that. Next up, Tim Wilkinson. Where do you imagine your toys and IP will be in 50, 75, 100 years? How do you think they will be regarded? Um, so we're talking legacy here. And I do think about legacy quite a bit. Um, not because it is kind of a flattering pursuit, which it absolutely is. But because uh, I'm curious about this too. Like, will anything I do stand the test of time? I think that the... The most likely scenario is that uh, I die in obscurity, right? <laughs> and uh, I think that uh, we have an excellent community here. This community will continue to grow. Uh, is there anything impactful enough here that it will survive a generation? You know, will uh, sort of your kids or your grandkids find anything compelling about this little pocket of the universe that we've carved out for ourselves. That I don't know. Um, you know, is there a sort of uh, a Disney-style purchase of the Knights of the Slice IP and the full exploitation of it in every continent translated into every language known to man? Probably not. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, largely Knights of the Slice will exist as long as I exist and as long as you guys exist and probably not much longer beyond that. Now, that can be a profoundly sad thought, but uh, I like to think of it as, you know, uh, having a blip on the radar while you're here, you know, uh, reaching out and connecting with other people while you're still walking the earth. Franchises that never rest uh, tend to outlive their usefulness, you know, while everybody generally likes the Mandalorian, I think you can say there have now been more bad pieces of Star Wars uh, movies or television or stories than there are good ones. So I, I don't sort of want to overlive my usefulness and I am content to uh, just keep cruising along with, you know, the 200 to 1,000 people that have sort of graced our stores or downloaded a story or read a comic book like that's pretty great that's a high watermark for me if we can just keep chipping away and and uh keep telling the stories and if this is all forgotten in 50 years uh i still think it will have been worthwhile lance tomimoto favorite playmates toxic crusader figure easily major disaster as a very fun plant-based character uh, I wasn't allowed to have Toxic Crusader figures. They were deemed sort of satanic or too evil. Um, but my aunt didn't know this, and she actually bought me uh, that character and the sort of fat guy with the yellow mask and all the tubes and wires. Um, so he always holds a uh, special place in my heart. You know, also I was thinking about this. Um, I think part of the reason that modern toys are so fucking boring is the lack of texture, right? 
most modern toys have to adhere to a style guide. And when we're talking about sort of cartoony characters, since really Bruce Tim, that means a very sort of basic, easy to draw, flat, symmetrical style guide type character. And, you know, thinking about a line like Toxic Crusader, where every inch of those figures have detail and texture and, and conflicting aesthetics going on, compared to, you know, just take the most modern Ninja Turtle animated series toy line. It's all smooth. It's all symmetrical. There's, there's no detail. There's no, you know, damage. Um, just, you know, so profoundly boring compared to the stuff that we had during those late 80s, early 90s. Next up is a great question from Jeremy Price I want to spend some time on. You've mentioned comic slash zines and any other printed materials don't sell as well as figures have on the store. You get wonderful feedback on your writing and storytelling, so there is no issue there. And the figures are naturally what your fans gravitate towards more than anything. But have you thought of any ways to improve those sales slash consumptions to get those stories in more hands and bring in more revenue? Do ebooks or printed materials perform better? Is there more margin in either? So these are all fantastic questions. And I do want to sort of preface this as saying I am not disappointed with the fact that my comics and printed materials sell very poor compared to the action figures. The fact that anybody buys my comics and reads my stories is, you know, a profound achievement, given that I used to set up at shows like MoCA or, you know, local comic uh, conventions, and I would be there with my comics and I wouldn't sell a goddamn comic. Nobody wanted to read my stuff. And that is a really profoundly crushing thing. Um, many San Diego's, the early San Diego Comic-Cons that I set up at, nobody bought any comics. You know, this is, uh, the nature of trying to be a storyteller in that space. You have to sort of go through 10 years where nobody's reading anything you do. And so to be here and to sell, you know, a hundred issues of, of a comic, that is crazy. And I think that also puts me in the top 98 percentile of most independent comic book creators, right? They never get anybody to pick up their stuff. It's really, really hard to do. So I am sort of already in a privileged position because as poorly as these books sell, they're still finding a readership, which is, you know, very rare in this space. So I think that the ultimate solution here is not making more money on them, not having a better margin, not even really like actively paying for marketing to, to get more eyeballs on this stuff, I think it really is just building the audience one person at a time for the books. And, you know, that takes decades to do, but we are doing it. There are more people picking up these comics. There are more people sort of chatting about the implications in the comic books and the storylines, which, you know, is not an easy thing to sort of facilitate. And it's happened all organically. So I think that that's the path. You know, this is one of, of extreme patience. This is like water dripping through a stone eventually. Takes, takes decades to do, but we are doing it. I think if anybody wants to sort of throw some kerosene on the fire, uh, it's very easy to just pick up a comic from the store, maybe pick up two, and just send them to people you know that read comics. Uh, I would really recommend starting at Rex Cannon, The Indestructible Man, or the Knights of the Slice BLT arc. You could arguably start with Turbo Atoll Chapter 1, although there are not many copies left, as we've talked about before. And I do think you kind of need 
at least a BLT arc to understand, you know, some of the setting of uh, Turbo Atoll. So um, I think we're getting there. And these are always going to be things that sell less, but I'm okay with that. I've made peace with that a long time ago. The other thing I want to talk about is something I, I don't think I've actually mentioned before. But last year, I did get a publishing offer from a comic book publisher. And this would have essentially taken my stories and adapted them and kind of uh, redone the, the original story arc with a new artist and put these into comic book shops and comicsology and, uh, you know, hopefully all the places that you could have imagined. But ultimately, I walked away from the deal. And I did that for a myriad of reasons, but essentially, it was not the right fit. While that was happening, and that offer was sort of extended to me, uh, I did do a courtesy call to uh, some friends of mine that run a bigger, more mainstream publishing house, and I said, hey, I have this offer. Do you guys want to review this? Uh, review, not the contract, but review the IP of Knights of the Slice and see if it's a fit for you. And, you know, if I'm going to do a deal, I, I at least want to let you guys know. And, uh, you know, if you think there's something that you would like to throw your hat in the ring for, let's discuss that. And this company reviewed all this stuff and ultimately they passed on it. So, uh, you know, there was a, there was a sort of juncture last year where publishing could have gone in a very different direction with one of two parties and uh, ultimately it did not one of them by my choosing and one of them not by my choosing but I do think that was still the right uh, sort of choice and the, the right branching of the road if there is going to be a publishing deal here uh, all of the planets have to align and it, it just has to be so apparently the right move and even then there's probably going to be a lot of unknowns um, you know, sometimes these deals you do with bigger companies can end up just tanking the good thing that you've cultivated. So um, I don't know what the future brings with outside parties. I, I would say that there's a very high bar for them to meet uh, in order for me to want to sort of sort of share some of this very precious thing that I've been cultivating for a very long time. So I, I'm not in any hurry to work with bigger partners. Uh, I think we are on a very good trajectory as it is, just amongst ourselves. And if people personally feel like more people should be reading these comics, buy a spare and just put it in the hands of people you know that read this stuff or people you think might really connect with this. I do think that there's a bigger market, just generally speaking, in terms of people who read books or read comic books or would like the subject matter of Knights of the Slice there's a much bigger reader audience than there is a toy buying art audience necessarily. So, um, you know, uh, just a, a few questions back, we talked about what does the IP look like in 25, 50, 75 years? Maybe publishing is part of that equation, you know? Maybe if publishing grows more, those are things that have a likelihood of living on, you know, long after the sort of plastic has... Uh, been eaten back up into the earth and enters our bloodstreams. Hopping over to our last question on Facebook, 
Joshua Owens, Vec-induced vision quest to Luca. When will we see this figure? He's, of course, referencing a little precursor to the battle for Pangaea Island that happened in the Summer of Nights digital ebook zine, which is on the store, and uh, people really seem to like. And if you're following along with the Battle for Pangaea Island as it unrolls in our store, you might want to check out Summer of Nights. That gives you a little bit of uh, prequel information for this big event. And that is at uh, toypizza.com, of course. Just look up Summer of Nights with a K, not with an N. Um, To answer the question, I think a Vec-induced Vision Quest Deluca is better left as a custom for the community to sort of put together. We've done DeLuca quite a few times, and uh, I don't know that I have enough pieces to sort of construct that character, although I do like him quite a bit. And rest assured, DeLuca plays a very big role in the finale of Battle for Pangaea Island, which we are inching ever closer to with every passing second. How exciting. So with all that answered, I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, Be sure to check out a new Toy Pizza episode every Friday on youtube.com slash toy pizza, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and then catch our live streams on Twitch, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on Tuesdays. And the only thing left to say is peace out.